This is Self Work, and I'm Dr. Margaret Rutherford. At Self Work, we'll discuss psychological and emotional issues common in today's world and what to do about them. I'm Dr. Margaret, and Self Work is a podcast dedicated to you taking just a few minutes today for your own self work. Hello and welcome or welcome back to Self Work. I'm Dr. Margaret Rutherford. I'm a clinical psychologist out of Fayetteville, Arkansas, and I've been seeing patients for over 25 years. I started this podcast because I wanted to reach out to those of you who might be very comfortable in talking with psychological or emotional issues and just want another point of view, or to those of you who may have just recently been diagnosed with depression or anxiety or bipolar disorder or you're having relationship problems that you don't understand and you need information. And then there's that third group, those of you who might never consider darkening the door of a therapist but are just curious enough to tune in and see what a therapist sounds like and what this particular episode of self-work is all about. In fact, this episode may just make that third group quite curious Because right now, the title is, When the Going Gets Tough, the Tough Don't Have to Stay Silent. And that's not what people think. So we're going to be looking at the difference between self-composure, stoicism, and self-destructiveness. We're going to redefine a bit what should happen or what could happen when the going gets tough. I was recently interviewed by a wonderful writer named Rainsford Stouffer. She writes for the New York Times, The Atlantic. I was so honored to be involved. She was describing a physical ailment that is causing her own life to deteriorate, and yet she's been hiding it for years with the I'm fine response. Her article is on how so many people hide or feel shame for physical ailments and actually wait for far too long because they feel they need to be stoic. Again, the tough get going. This ties in with the fact that a few people have written to me critical of my work on perfectly hidden depression. They'll say things like, why are you saying that bearing up from your troubles, putting them on the back burner and functioning is unhealthy or a disorder? That's strength to me. These remarks suggest that I'm personally throwing rocks at survivors or people who are resilient and strong. For the people who wrote this, I'm challenging the good old American stoic, when the going gets tough, the tough get going, and they don't like it. I was actually interested, so I looked up where that phrase had come from, and maybe some of you know this, maybe some of you don't. It's been attributed both to Joseph P. Kennedy, who was the father of U.S. President John Kennedy, and sometimes to the Norwegian-born American football player and coach Newt Rockney. So I just thought I'd give you a little history lesson. So today we're going to talk about the difference between being resilient, being self-composed, being stoic, and being self-destructive or overly suppressing your emotions. Like most things, when there's only one option that you'd consider, there's a problem. Our listener email today is from someone whose mom certainly had symptoms of borderline personality disorder, but when the listener wrote to me, she was questioning whether or not she was at fault somehow. So I hope you'll sit back. If you're one of the tough that's gotten going, maybe you'll hear something new today that might help you consider other options. So glad all of you are here.
Whether we're born with certain gifts or skills or we learn them along the way, we each gather these skills or strengths, things we do competently, and we carry them around in our psychological toolbox to use when we need them. As an example, perhaps organization comes easily to you. You methodically design your approach to a problem and follow through when meeting a deadline. Or you have quite the opposite skill. You're someone who waits until that deadline is looming before you get something done. You're most effective in a time crunch. Neither choice is particularly better than the other one, because both can be considered skills. I'm definitely one of those deadline-looming people. (laughs) What's the purpose of learning these skills? Well, we all handle stress through their use. It just becomes the way you function. You can see it when perhaps a sudden death occurs in the family. You can notice how different people respond. You can actually see which skills they pull out. Or you can see if they don't have the skills to handle the situation. Some will focus on what needs to be done. They stay composed and their skill is problem-solving or fixing. Others are far more comfortable expressing their grief in the moment. They more have skills to tolerate and express painful emotion. Others deny any pain at all, and perhaps they're the Stoics in the group. Some may even seem angry, and that group may not have a constructive skill to handle grief. What's in your toolbox helps you deal with life, both the good and the not so good. It's what you've learned, skills you've developed, what you've practiced, and what you know. Healthy coping is using these constructive skills to deal with whatever comes your way, from the joyous things in life to the more painful. Anger management is a skill. Self-soothing or calming yourself down is a skill. Processing information rationally is a skill. Today, we're talking about the skills of self-composure and stoicism. As I received a proper Southern education in how to be a lady, certainly part of that training included keeping my composure, not letting anyone see that I was perturbed or angry or bothered. I love that word. Mosquitoes bother me. I always love it when people say, you know, that really bothers me. I don't know what they mean. I know you may not believe this, but I walked with a book on my head and recited Shakespeare as part of my self-composure training. But when I think of the term self-composure now, it's more like making sure your mind stays in control and keeping anxiety to a minimum, not revealing what you're struggling with. So what's the difference between self-composure and stoicism? Stoicism is actually another history lesson, been around since 300 B.C., and teaches the actual repression of emotion and indifference to pleasure or pain in its most severe or rigid form. Mr. Spock from Star Trek comes to mind. It's definitely when the going gets tough, the tough get going on steroids. And, you know, this saying, when the going gets tough, seems to view Stoicism as superior to other skills. You should have a fixer mentality. You should be fine. You should suppress emotion at all costs. That will make you tough. And according to this, tough is better. But stoicism, like any other skill, can be overused. And that's where the problem can lie. In this article I mentioned in the intro, Ms. Stouffer quotes several studies about the pros and cons of stoicism or emotional suppression. For example, she cites Sarah Whiten, W-I-E-T-E-N, who studies stoicism. And her study reports that people who believe they shouldn't show emotion or should handle issues on their own face internal conflict when they may need help, which in turn 
quote-unquote, could lead to delays in help-seeking with potentially life-threatening consequences. Basically here, she's saying that the research has found that rigid stoicism can threaten your very physical life. I'll have a link to that study, by the way, in the show notes, as well as to Ms. Stover's article. The author, Whiten again, who says she herself leans towards Stoicism, suspects that, quote, people find the idea that you can and should distinguish between things in life you can control and those you cannot, and then focus on what you can. And that's a powerful way to cope in adverse conditions or when things get bad. And I don't disagree with her. In fact, I agree a lot. I suggest to people all the time that they look for what they have control over when they're floundering or depressed. What can you actually do about something? Rather than wishing you had control or worrying about what you don't have control over, what do you have control over? I think that's healthy. Where I differ from when the going gets tough, the tough get going, is that it implies that there's no place for fear or sadness. It's saying to anyone who will listen, and many, many have, that you leave your feelings out of the equation and just get going. And you know, after watching a lot of people go through a lot of hardship and pain, I just don't believe that. I meet a lot of people as a therapist, and what I notice in the first couple of sessions is how comfortable these people are with opening up about their emotions, not just pain, really any emotion. Interestingly, it takes me longer to connect with folks who stay pretty mental. I don't feel like I get to know them as people quite as readily or easily. What I try to do is encourage people to build several different kinds of responses or skill sets into their repertoire so that they can maintain their stability and not fall apart emotionally when something happens, but also when it's time, they can find a quiet place and feel what is waiting for them to feel. True self-composure to me isn't stoicism. True composure reflects an inner security and stability within yourself to know you can handle stress well and feel your feelings when it's appropriate and you have the time to do so. This is a far healthier thing to do, as Dr. Whiten's study suggests, literally physically as well as emotionally. Healthy coping, or what we're tending to call self-composure today, calls for the skill of what psychology calls compartmentalization. What does this mean? You compartmentalize, you put emotions in a compartment, you store them away in your emotion closet for the moment, as other things need your attention at the time. We all do this if we're good In a crisis, for example, you focus on what you've got control over, you focus on what you can do, and you don't necessarily focus on the feeling. But when it's safe, when you have the energy, when you have privacy, or simply when you have time, you connect with those feelings, whether they're fear, grief, sadness, confusion, you take them out of their compartment and look to see what's there. You recognize how they're affecting you, and if they're painful, you risk sitting with hurt or sadness darkness or despair, in order to heal. What this means is when you're afraid, you know that the fear is there, but you may not focus on it and you show up. You keep going. How do we all learn to compartmentalize? Through our parents. And our parents have to be pretty healthy to teach us how to do that well. Healthy parents have soothed their children. So those children learn that feeling sad or bad is tolerable. The kids watch those same parents soothe themselves. You learn through this that emotions don't have to govern your life, but there's a time and a place to express them. 
Healthy parents teach their kids about feeling pain and working through it a bit at a time. Let's take an example that I heard a long time ago. At a conference, the speaker was describing something very troubling that had happened to her at work one day. She said, I went home wanting to talk to my husband about it. We finished dinner and put the kids to bed. You can hear here that she compartmentalized whatever was troubling, putting it aside in order to get daily tasks done. It was only after that, as she continues, that I broke down and told him everything, and a hand shot up in the audience as someone impulsively asked, how could you wait all that time? Then the woman asking that question looked a little embarrassed as she realized how her question sounded. She was saying, I can't believe your emotions didn't govern you. I wouldn't be able to do that. The speaker was describing keeping her composure, compartmentalizing, staying stoic, if you will, but not really, not the traditional view of stoicism where you suppress your emotions. She was not suppressing them. She was putting them away for the time being. But she was also describing getting her feelings out when it was safe and it was time. This is healthy compartmentalization. I love this Sukuma proverb. The wind does not break a tree that bends. Connecting with thoughts, experiences, and emotions that you had to store away for a time is in essence bending. You recognize on a very basic level that you can't survive the storm if you're too rigid. If your coping skills are healthy, then you can bend. You can express vulnerability. You can feel all emotions. And your tree won't break. Now let's just talk a bit about perfectly hidden depression. If you struggle with PhD, or even if you're just overly stoic or overly composed, you've got this backwards. You believe you'll break if you bend, if you admit vulnerability or hurt. So we're going to try something new today. I've never asked you to do anything like this. Maybe after you finish listening to this podcast, I want you to find a place somewhere that's quiet and think about things that you might have stuck back in that emotion closet of yours in your mind. Things that you might say, you know, I haven't thought about that in a long time, but I know it changed me. Or, that was really tough, but I couldn't let it bother me at the time. I had kids to take care of. Or if it happened in your childhood, I was told it didn't matter, and to pull myself up by my bootstraps, i.e., be stoic. Let your mind go back there and see what, if any, emotions you feel. Sometimes it actually helps to close your eyes and create a calm scene in your mind's eye. What do you see? What do you smell? Then allow yourself a few seconds to drink in that calm and then look into your past. It's kind of like you're standing in front of your refrigerator and look to see what's there. I don't recommend you do anything else, but just write out the memories that you find there. And don't necessarily get those experiences out if they're too potent, but you may find yourself feeling emotions that you haven't felt in a long time that have been compartmentalized. And certainly, if you feel safe enough to do so, take some time to journal about those emotions. You know, I remember being in the last few months of graduate school when I was getting my PhD and going to a party where the faculty that had shepherded us through the program was also there. Somehow it came up that I'd gotten divorced in the first year of the program, and one of my major professors was standing right by me and looked at me very surprised. Really? I couldn't have told anything was wrong. Wow. At the time, I remember feeling kind of superior, 
like I'd done something that made me look strong. Now, looking back, I don't quite see it the same way. Those of you who've been listening know that I have panic disorder. And one of the reasons I panic at times is because I'm not dealing with feelings I need to deal with. I'm being stoic. And so I get stressed, overly tight physically and clenched, and I have anxiety. Back then, I was shoving all of that pain away or trying to. I was staying very focused on the tasks in front of me. And that was good in a way. I didn't flunk out. I performed well professionally. But my personal mess of a life was kept secret. Now I know that it would have been more balanced to allow more of those feelings to surface. I was in therapy and that helped. But maybe if I'd taken a few days off or asked for what I needed, that would have been okay as well. Because when the going gets tough, the tough can ask for help, then tough can take the time to feel what they're feeling. To me, what's healthy is balance. It's about using your skills to make your tree as strong as possible but not inflexible, not rigid. Your tree can bend in the wind, and whatever emotions are there can be honored. Here's a listener email for today, and it's from a woman who had a mom with serious mental illness, but almost still blames herself. Hi, Dr. Rutherford. I'm 48 years old. I have my own business and married and have three amazing children. My question centers around my mom and the relationship I have or have had with her. To tell you a little bit more about myself, I've been treated for depression on and off for years, but I've always been able to function. It's more of persistent feelings of emptiness, loneliness, anger, confusion, and low self-worth. It's always better when I practice self-care, exercise, and eat well. I've used antidepressants off and on and received therapy as well, which has been immensely helpful. As far as my mom, I don't even know where to begin. I'm an only child, but not like the classic only child. My mom didn't have any more children at the advice of her doctor because of her severe postpartum depression. I've been told she had frightening images of hurting me and herself. I believe it was treated with medication, but I don't have all the details. She was loving during my early childhood, very affectionate and caring. That suddenly changed when I was around 10 years old. It was drastic. It felt like all physical affection stopped overnight, and I remember feeling confused and not able to trust her. I didn't even tell her when I started my period. It actually never even occurred to me. My best friend was with me when I did tell her, and she completely freaked out. She was pacing and crying. It was ridiculous. She's always overreacted to situations and can sometimes fly into verbal rages about the injustices of the world, so I began to not share my life and childhood issues with her. My parents fought violently, mostly verbally, but sometimes I would hear items being broken, door slamming, screaming, crying. They wouldn't speak to each other for days and then would suddenly act as if nothing had ever happened. I was always so relieved when their fights were over, but I dreaded their fighting. It made me feel scared and insecure. My father traveled all the time, so our home life was very different when he was gone. I just remember feeling anxious all the time, especially when he was coming home, like absolute dread. I have tried to talk to my mom as an adult about how this felt, and she either becomes angry or simply denies it happened. It's beyond frustrating. Things got bad when I was a teenager. She took care of my physical needs at times with anger, especially when I needed new school clothes, but was not present for me emotionally. 
I felt like I lived in the house alone at times. She was distracted with her own life and problems, and it took over everything. I feared her, resented her. I was rebellious. She would say cruel things to me. Now to this day, I don't even trust my own judgment or feelings. It's ridiculous. It seems she was always angry. She didn't tell me she loved me ever. She didn't praise me. She slapped my face. She threw things at me. She never one time apologized. I remember feeling like I was a terrible human. I felt shame and guilt every day of my life. I was the one who always apologized to her and actually believed everything was my fault, even as a child. I see things differently as an adult, but still carry these feelings of shame and guilt in almost everything I do. She's still so selfish I can't stomach it, and my husband and grown daughter see it as well. Am I crazy? What am I dealing with? What should I do? I just want to better manage my emotions and not let her opinions and nastiness affect my life so badly. So here's my answer. No, you're not crazy. It sounds like your mom has either a severe bipolar disorder, or perhaps even more explanatory, a personality disorder like borderline, or narcissistic personality disorder, or a combination of traits within what's called the Cluster B group of personality disorders. You might want to look that up. It's interesting that she pulled it together in your early childhood, but something erupted when you were around 10. Perhaps when you were becoming more of your own person and individual, that can and does often trigger someone who needs to be loved and made secure, and they can become rageful as they struggle not to feel abandoned. I definitely recommend some reading on the topic, especially a borderline. My favorite book I've said before is Understanding the Borderline Mother. Another that is very helpful is I Hate You, Don't Leave Me. The best thing you can do is to decide on your own boundaries and work on whatever messages you absorbed about your own worth and value. It also sounds, of course, like your dad wasn't involved in any soothing way, so neither parent helped you feel safe. If they're still together, then you may have to set those boundaries with both of them. It's very difficult work, and there's quite a lot of grieving that has to go on as you begin to have compassion for the little girl that was blamed and confused. It's also interesting to me that a lot of people, when they're rearing their own children, the grief actually gets worse because they are providing a much safer environment for their children, and they recognize through doing so what their own childhoods could have been like. That shame you feel comes from the absorption of the blame that you said. And none of it, let me stress, none of it was your fault. I'm glad your husband is supportive, and if he and your daughter can see the dynamic as well, that must be comforting. I'm glad you're finding the podcast helpful. Good luck to you, and take very good care. So many of the emails I get are from people whose parents had severe mental illness or personality disorders, and they struggle a lot with self-blame. If this is you, please get one of the books mentioned, and I will have those books in the show notes. Thank you so much for being here. Our numbers are really growing, and I'm so delighted that those of you who may be here for the first time have tuned in to self-work. And of course, thank you to those who are regular listeners. You can email me at AskDrMargaret at DrMargaretRutherford.com. You can subscribe at DrMargaretRutherford.com and receive one weekly newsletter, I promise no more, that will give you my weekly blog post and my weekly podcast and perhaps alert you to certain things that are going on, like last week I announced that the book 
is for sale or for pre-sale at PerfectlyHiddenDepression.com. Again, that's Perfectly Hidden Depression is the book. And where you can buy it on pre-sale is at PerfectlyHiddenDepression.com. Please leave me a rating or review. Other than word of mouth, that is the best way for people to know what they can expect here at Self Work and what you like about the program. And I learn, too. I learn who you are, why you're listening, what you're listening for. You can always offer me topics for podcasts. That's really great. You can come over to Instagram and join me. I'm doing a series there called What I've Learned as a Therapist. I'm having a lot of fun. I also have opened a closed Facebook group <laughs> at facebook.com slash group slash self-work, and I'd love to have you there. So take very good care. Thanks for listening. I'm Dr. Margaret, and this has been Self-Work.